just past 7 o'clock, and what do you know? Time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a good one, and Ira, you must be uh, pretty tired. I'd like to talk about what you did, but I think everybody knows you were spending a lot of time at the Honda Classic. How many times did you walk the Champions course at PGA National the past four days? I think I'm addicted to it. I'll tell you what, <laughs> I just, everyone, my friends are like, what are you doing at the Honda? There's the NCAA going at the same time, and I'm following it, I'm watching at night, but... I just think this was being from COVID being st- I mean, as much as I've gone to eight football games, uh, the auto racing, some baseball. It's still it, it's just good to get out and walk around. And I'm like, I've been watching in, you know, watching TV for so long that the choice of watching NCAA, which I knew I was going to watch at night, knew I was going to watch for the next couple of weeks. I, I thought it was just better to be out of the Honda. I love the course. I think it's the most beautiful golf course, and I've been to so many of them. Mm-hmm. And I just to see the golfers, and we didn't have the big names, but I thought it was very interesting. Gets you, you know how I love looking at the different names, look at the younger golfers, look at the next big things and stuff like that. And I do that for tennis, and I do it for any sport, basketball, football, mm-hmm. all those things. So I, I, it was good to get out there and see that and see in competing. I, I enjoyed it immensely. We're going to talk a lot about the Honda Classic tonight and our, our new winner, Matt Jones. But first, Ira, we've we got a really big interview today. Got Padraig Harrington coming on. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about the Ryder Cup. Well, Padre Harrington is a three-time major winner. Uh, in the PG, on the, he won the British Open twice in the PGA Championship. Three times in, in a two-year span, which is like mm-hmm. a Tiger Woods-like um, as one of the top golfers of all time. And he's also the captain of the Ryder Cup, the European team, coming up. So I'm excited with this interview because we actually taped it on Tuesday because he was in town and he came and gave, was, gave us 15 minutes of his time, which is great. And he, for people to understand what the Ryder Cup is, the Ryder Cup is really, really, really important. It's America versus... Uh, Europe. It used to be America versus England in terms of the best golfers and top the top 12 American golfers. It's not really top 12. They get to choose a certain mm-hmm. amount or a certain amount qualify. And if you ever follow Phil and Tiger and these guys and anybody else, who's young, they all want to qualify. Like you see Dustin Johnson say, I'm not going to play the Olympics. I've never heard. When was the last time you heard a golfer say, I'm not playing Ryder Cup? No. Everybody plays the Ryder Cup. It's something they want to do. They play in it. It's a three-day event. It's a team competition, the first and two second days. And then it's singles, the, the third. The fans are more involved. It's one year. It's Every, it's every two years, two years it's in England and then or in Europe, and then the other next two years it's in America. It was set back, which was supposed to be last summer, but because of COVID, it was pushed back. So Padraig is the captain of the European team, and we talked about strategy. There's so much strategy: what play, what who you choose for your team, how you choose what, how you pair them up into pair groups and stuff. We, we must have you might have heard about when they were putting when Phil and Tiger were having their feud and they put them together and they didn't play well together <laughs> and who do you put together? And I thought he was really he did the interview on Tuesday. I thought he was very honest in terms of how he laid it out. Out. And uh, I know we're doing this interview now. It's almost something we want. I want to rerun in September, but uh, and I, it's unfortunate because they do it in September. And it's middle of football season, like golf ends. And I really think the Ryder Cup. I wish the Ryder Cup wasn't against football because I I do watch it on those weekends and and you do get Friday Saturday. But it's it's still it's just it gets overwhelmed by college football and pro football in terms of I think the American sporting public. But in Europe, it's enormously huge because the Europeans continually beat the Americans. Oh, and, they crush us! That's, so that's like when they're beating Tiger and Phil, and then it's like crazy these no-name golfers, but as we're following the tour, these golfers that we quote think are no-name are really good because now you're seeing more of them come over here and compete and play well. And when someone like Matt Jones comes from Australia, who's not wouldn't be in the Ryder Cup, but from the President's Cup, when plays well today, there's another example. So uh, let's talk about it. Honda Classic, like you just said, Matt Jones, he's the winner here. And this is one where he, he played <laughs> pretty darn good and on Sunday there really wasn't that much uh, competition to take him down no I mean it was it was he's 41 years old from Australia he was now he's now four, he went from 83rd to 49th with the win 
He's been playing for years. There's only one PGA Tour win in 300 starts, sort of like McDowell from uh, the, the NASCAR and the Daytona <laughs> 500. Um, he won the Australian Open twice, uh, but he's only played in one Masters, three PGAs, never made the cut. And But he's been on the tour playing in 2008 as a rookie. He had the final round lead, and he lost. And but So it's not, it's pretty ironic that he came back and won this. But his five-stroke uh, five, uh, um, uh, advantage was the t- tied 1977 Nicholas's and 2010 Villages for the largest lead, uh, largest win. And uh, But this was a great win. I mean, I, I got to follow him yesterday and enjoyed watching him play. Uh, just a, just an amazing, I think he, his Thursday 61 was, they considered one of the best rounds in years on the tour, considering mm-hmm. the tour, the average for it was like around 71. And so when you're 10 strokes under the average, even though he had like a three or four stroke lead, that was just amazing. And then for him to come back on Sunday, and I followed him on Sunday playing, and it was like he was playing par three. I mean, everything, this is, we know how hard the Champions course is. It's considered the hardest non-major in the whole PGA Tour. He made it look easy on Sunday. Yeah, he, he was really just did. hitting, I mean, at the end on those finals holes, you're waiting for, oh, there's, the announcers keep saying, oh, there's water up ahead. And didn't mind with him. He's just hitting the ball. It was like, he didn't scramble. It was like, great drive, great approach. 10-foot putt, birdie. Great drive, great approach, <laughs> 10-foot putt, birdie. Just like that. He definitely made it look easy, and it was fun to watch on TV when someone just dialed into the zone like that. Um, we do have to mention, and you know, much to the much to the chagrin of the people putting on the Honda Classic, it's kind of a weakened field, and, and there was a lot of reasons for that. Some injuries, some COVID concerns, but it wasn't, uh, it was a little bit lackluster compared to years past. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, with all the golfers that live in Jupiter, and, and but just not <laughs> 90% just super, of the tour. Yeah, it's everything. It's just sad that it was like, I mean, Justin Thomas usually plays, Dustin Johnson usually plays, Rory usually plays, of course there's no Tiger. Bryson DeChambeau hasn't played in this, Spieth hasn't played in it, but no Colin Murkowa. Matthew Wolf, who lives right here, didn't play in it, no Fleetwood. I mean, the highest ranked player was M, who won it last year at 17, Westwood at 19, Adam Scott at 25, Neiman at 28. Uh, it was in, because Daniel Berger pulled out, Brooks Kepka for uh, injury, Brooks Kepka pulled out because of injury. Uh, it's a shame, and, and we talked about this last year. My concern had always been that you go Genesis, the World Golf Championships, then you play Bay Hill, then you have player, the players, and then the Honda, and now another World Golf. The uh, World Golf is, you show up and get a quarter of a million dollars, and you get fixed points for the FedEx Cup. You have to, everyone plays in that event, that's in Austin. You have the players, no one wants to play three weeks in a row, let alone four weeks in a row. And then with the Masters coming up in a couple weeks, someone like Berger, who was committed to maybe play, isn't gonna win it. It's just the worst possible time to have this. It's just, it's an awful time. And Nicholas, Jack Nicholas made a comment that they're, now this is supposedly set in stone for next year, but Jack Nicholas said in an interview I was reading today in the Palm Beach Post, where he said he was considering that he's, you know, there should be some consideration to move it. Because I just I didn't feel it was going to work either. I know we had Ken on. Ken thought it was going to work. It just didn't. It <laughs> yeah. just this does not work with the right schedule. No, and we, we talked about it about what three years ago or so when they did move this that it was going to be a real challenge to get some of the best. You know, there was a time when we had 12, 14, 15 of the top 20 golfers in the world here. It's just harder to draw now by the, by the way it's scheduled. I. It's harder to draw, and I, it's almost like the it's it, could you move? They don't want to put it too much in the summer because it gets hotter. But actually, it was so comfortable. They moved it back three weeks, and one of the concerns was too hot. But I felt it was like the the 
nicest weather they've had. There was no rain. Um, it was just it was a temperate climate. Uh, it was it was just a great. It, the weather was perfect at this time. But I just the the timing. You cannot be after a quote major, which is the players' counts as a major. What everybody's in there. You can't be after that tournament. No, you're absolutely right. So let's talk a little bit about your experiences at the Honda Classic. I know I, I had asked you. I assumed you know there were ten thousand fans a day that it was going to seem kind of empty out there. But you said it didn't have that feel. I felt there were some holes like earlier in the days on the Thursdays and Fridays. It seemed like it was it was very empty at all. But boy, on Sunday when I was coming down with the leaders on 18, it seemed really really crowded. Now, of course, you didn't have everybody on 17. There's sometimes 15, 20,000. It seems like on 17 oh, yeah. itself, the way they did 17 was just very small little pods where people were sitting. There was a couple. It was it was clearly like one tenth where they took the crowds out was 17, and there were no stands. Like even on the first hole, we're used to see stands. There Huge were no, grandstand. No no grandstand at all so that was there's no vendors there was nothing like that but uh, people wore their mask and if you're on the ropes you're not allowed to you had to have your mask on you could be eating on the ropes there was tons of food I mean it was one of the greatest golf tournaments to go to because there, there were there was no unlike the last one where I talked about the players you could get you could get a drinks and food and everything out there so it was great I mean I thought the crowds were good later in the day not in the morning uh, and earlier but uh, in general it was it was just and without the, the like there was no pro shop there was nothing where you can buy but the Honda they didn't sell a lot of merchandise. I think Oakley was the only one that sold sunglasses besides that there weren't any of those booths. But it seemed like with the food and drinks uh, options, it was good it Was good from that perspective. It, no fireworks, no DJ, no yeah. parties, stuff like that. No, and that would, to me that'd be weird. You know, I've been to the Honda Classic every year for the last 10 years and I'm so used to all the vendors everywhere and all the festivities. It would have been a little, uh, a little bit different than I was anticipating. You said no mobile device task force and usually that's a big deal. Well, when I said no mobile, I put that in there because I meant about pictures because it was they got rid of the mobile device task force because I've had the you know they don't want you they now you're allowed to take pictures on your cell phone mm -hmm. they don't give they finally got the message that you're allowed to take pictures on the cell phone but they don't they have a they had a, a masked task force but they were very nice people walked around it was it was not there was not one of this yelling I never saw and just never saw any arguments about mask at all as much as anyone might to say it was like people were walking through it seemed nice everyone was very nice I just don't like when when the marshals I just could ask if they would when, when they're ready to do anything, don't raise your hands. Like, just raise it maybe straight up because you get the perfect position and the marshals move around and they put your hand, they block your picture, <laughs> block everything. It's just so frustrating. And and I guess just with talking about my pictures, I didn't even hardly need my stool much because it there wasn't that many. I mean, besides Mickelson, I really, even when I was following the leaders on Saturday and Sunday, could really just go and take pictures wherever. Um T-Box is the best place to take the pictures, of course. Um, the fairway pictures are, are okay, but it's, it's just hard unless they're out of bounds. And like when J.B. Holmes is playing, when he's out of bounds all the time, that's like you're walking down, got some great pictures, go on Iron Sports. I mean, I put these up on my Instagram, uh, Facebook, and uh, and Twitter, Iron Sports. And uh, it's always better to be on the right side of the golfer when they're right-handed, except for Phil on the left. So there's some, yeah, some T-Boxes you can't choose between left and right. So it's like when you're on his left side, it's like, wow, this is finally, like it's great because you want to see where the ball hits like the key is to get the ball get the get the golf ball and the club to hit exactly the time and it's tough <laughs> i mean some of these guys i couldn't get it and uh, the other thing is always 
always understand where the hole is. Like where you're, where they hit the board. When they're the green, you have to know where the next hole is. It's like playing chess. You got to go and oh, stay on strategy. that side. Strategy, stay on that green because if you wait, like there's this one. It's like I'm always like running and trying to get to the next thing when the, when they're done with the green because they 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 rope it off and you're not allowed to go through. So <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm begging the marshals let me through, and then you don't get the tee box thing. Um, and then I, I don't like on seven and eight. They don't let you up by the tee box and by the green, which I think is ridiculous. And I wish they would change it because I'd like seven and eight. It's a par three and then eight is a par four going down the other way. But it was still, I got, I got probably my best because of the crowds were low. I wish like Tiger was there and stuff like that. But I did get my best pictures I've ever had at it just using my iPhone seven, which is amazing. So, and you can uh, see that all at Iron sports, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you had a really good idea here. Iron. I don't know why I didn't think of this, but you stayed at the hotel. And well, it was they, cheaper. They, because they have like a 10, 20%, 20% crowds. It was, it was very cheap to stay at the hotel. So we worried, and you don't have to worry about parking and anything like that. So it was very easy just to stay there and then wake up in the morning because you just you don't have to go and park. And you, literally, you, they had a ways to park your car, but you just could stay right there and just walk out in the morning. And that was good in order to just, it was made much more convenient. I mean, normally you could never, when it's filled up, like this, it's booked in five years in advance, but the fact that they had so many extra rooms available, it just made it easier to go and see that. Even though they limited to people at the hotel, to the guests and those things, it wasn't the scene that they normally has at the, at the the for the tournament. 716, this is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So let's talk about it. Thursday, you were out there bright and early, ready to catch a lot of golf. Well, it was... It was, it was easy to, I wanted to see Phil Mickelson. And, and Phil Mickelson is someone who is at 44 wins, five majors. He is 28 years straight in the top 100. Understand the last time he was, he just fell out of the top 100, Justin Thomas was four months old. I mean, <laughs> it's just, when you think of someone being, a, for 28 years, and when you say, oh, that like LeBron has an 18 year career being great, but that's 18, I mean, at 28 is just an, amazing to be, what, people like die to be the top 100 golfer in the world. He's that for 28 years. Yeah, just decades. so impressive. And the fact that he's never won and he was always behind Tiger Woods, um, certainly the greatest. And his crowds, and I was t- sending these pictures out and people were saying, why are you following Phil? He shouldn't be on the tour. He's 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 lost it all. He, he hasn't won since, he won two years ago. It wasn't like he won, lost, won, he won 2019 Pebble Beach Pro-Am. But the fact is, his crowds were enormous. He was the draw of the tournament. People like him because of a number of reasons. First of all, he is so nice to the crowds. He is talking to the fans. He is talking... It is interesting. If you're around the green, he you can hear him talking to his caddy, like understanding he will make the number one best commentator. Oh, it's going to be great. Oh, because he's like Tony Romo, but he, I think it's better. Like he'll tell where the green is and this and that. And he's funny and he's good. And when he even play, when he's playing poorly, I'll tell you this, when he's playing poorly, he's still engaging with the crowd. He knows what he, people love him. And CT Pan made the comment on Saturday. He goes, why'd you shoot such a great score? It's because I played with Phil and he was helping me the whole time. <laughs> like, and I think that's what makes it. And that is good. I mean, I think that's not, that, thankfully they had Phil as a draw at the tournament because he really is someone. And he finished, uh, what in uh, with minus two, he finished like third, twenty fifth place. It wasn't horrendous, and he, and he made the cut and those things. But it was like it was it was like one of those things that it was the first time in five years he's been playing. Oh, the one funny thing about Phil, I always wanted to try to pick one little thing about about what's going on is I've never seen a golfer. He carries a tumbler. Now I don't know what's in that tumbler, but it's not like he just gets it out of his bag and drinks. He's literally eyeing the putts, like he's walking around with the tumbler almost the <laughs> entire time on the course. Like it's like someone at work, like it's a, what's that movie that TMZ. 
the guy with the tumbler with the yeah. TMZ TV. It's like the same thing. He had the tumbler the entire, like almost every green. He's like eyeing it and then he puts the tumbler to his caddy and then he, he puts. I was waiting for him to putt with the tumbler, like holding it under his arm. <laughs> how did um how the crowds fare for Ricky Fowler? Normally he's a massive draw, but I'm wondering if maybe you know his lack of uh <laughs> lack of good play would affect that. Fowler in the afternoon, so on Thursday in the afternoon, he had a big crowd. So it was, Mickelson started out slow. It's Thursday morning at 8 o'clock, and then Fowler, they usually put one big star in the morning and then one big star in the afternoon. So it was Mickelson in the morning and then Fowler. Then it reverses on Friday. And Fowler had a nice crowd. He played with uh, uh, Mitchell and him, but it was all winners. So you had uh, Keith uh, Keith Mitchell mm-hmm. and uh, and Sanjay M, who won it last year. And it was I thought he had a very good crowd in the afternoon. Now in the morning on Friday, he didn't have a good crowd. So it was like it was like a crowd. It depends on when you're playing with it. I thought it was interesting when he was on 15, where the bear trap is. I remember it was 15, 16, 17 is the par three, 15 with the water. There's a big bear right there, and mm-hmm. then 16 is a hard par four over water, and 17 is the famous 17 hole over water par three. Um, Nelson Arenado uh, from the Cardinals was there, and a lot of other St. Louis Cardinals were there That's standing. Awesome. Yeah, but I, I, I couldn't want. You, I was weird that they were out there, but they were. I didn't want to talk to them or anything, but they were. It was neat that there were, there had to be like six or seven Cardinals that were there, but our Arenado was standing there watching, and nice to see them support local events like that. But, uh, I mean, for Fowler, I guess the question is, I mean, he was, he's 81st in the world. He was uh, number nine. Um, he's earned $40 million on the tour, $10 million in endorsements a year. And, uh, I mean, this is someone who is, who is 2014, fifth in the Masters, second in the U.S. Open, second in the British Open, third in the PGA, 2015 won the PGA, 2018 second in the Masters, and just as fall. He made changes his swing, and it just has been a complete complete disaster. I feel bad for him. It's it's and, and uh, Nick Faldo made a comment. It's like, well, if he doesn't make the cut, it gives him more time to make commercials. Mm-hmm. And he, and so there's this point about Faldo is. I mean, Faldo is on every single commercial. I have to say this. He doesn't get frustrated when he's out there. He's still gracious with the crowds. So as much as he's not playing poorly, it's not you can criticize him by for not playing poorly, but he has every right to do endorsements and he's a very sociable, friendly person and the kids love him and everything like that. So you can't criticize him and he's trying. And I just like if he was if he was screaming on the course or being mean or surly, or, I mean he is just wonderful with everybody. So I think it's just like you, everyone roots for him. It's like someone who is, is struggling, but he's only 32. I mean, he's not, if he's not 42, if he's 42, you're like, this is whatever. But 32, you could, you could see this. He's finally going to figure out these guys. They keep changing their swings, though. Padraig Harrington changed his swing and never got it back. So the, the point is, you, you you change your swing and who knows what happens. He's a great ambassador for the game, as as you were saying. So yeah, you can't hate on the guy. And I think that Faldo he kind of backtracked on that comment a little bit. Like I was all in good fun. Anything else from uh, Thursday before we talk about Friday? No, I, I just thought it was interesting on Thursday. Um, the key was that Matt Jones uh, shot a sixty-one, and he ended up. It was one of those where he shot a sixty-one. It was the course record. It was it was it was four strokes better than he's he's ever ever had before in a, mm. anywhere and uh, uh, his odds before the tournament went from 70 to 1 to 3 to 1 and it was just it was like one of those great days where he was shooting and I wasn't watching him but it was like eagle eagle on the on the holes I mean he, he was just playing playing amazing and I think that set him up and it's like it's interesting when someone uh, hits a great number and then is able to but doesn't fall away and then wins the tournament so he had his he said on the Thursday he shot like a 71 but it wasn't like he shot a 76 or something like that he stayed it, that 61 allowed him to stay in the tournament and and with it with the lead that he had so let's talk about Friday I think you caught up with uh, Taylor Gooch who we had on the show last week we, I watched Gooch I watched Jim Herman who was on the show they were great and I followed of course Fowler and Mitchell in the morning 
uh, and then in the afternoon I, sh- I, I, followed, I followed Mickelson. And uh, Mickelson started out early. He had three birdies, and you're like, wow. First of all, he was at plus one, so he was at minus two. He was worried about, are they going to make the cut? You know, the question is either going to make the cut. And uh, But then on 11, he had a triple bogey. <laughs> he, he just The problem with Mickelson is that on 11, like, he is – he tries to instead of take the safe shots is what they say is like he was on the car path instead of just taking a drop he he tried to hit it off the car path and he tried to hit another one and it's just a mess all over the place he's so aggressive in his shots and you can see why he gets a triple bogey on this course is the wrong course for him because when you make a mistake like that you don't play it safe you're going to make the doubles and triples not the regular bogeys and uh but it was like aaron weiss uh aaron uh he uh weiss yeah, he had two eagles. There's only two par fives on. It's a par 70 course on th- on uh, three and 18, and he had two eagles on both, which is pretty amazing. The seventh player in 2,000 rounds to ever do that. And uh, and then Brand- then Brandon Hagee, he finished. So so Weiss was Aaron Weiss was uh, 12 under. Hagee was nine under, and Matt Jones was tied for for nine under. And it seemed like as again most of this tournament, this was the first two days. The wind it was windy, and everyone was like, well, where's the bad scores? But the pin placements were very easy on a lot of these holes. I mean, every but he was eagling 18. Like it was like, I think on Thursday, like 20 eagles. The next day, it was like 18 eagles. It was like one of those things where we're waiting for the course to play harder, and one is the pin placement. And uh, it seemed like they were playing almost sometimes for the ladies' tees. Like the tees were way <laughs> up there, and then the pins were perfect, not near the water. And you know, on some of those par threes, when they put the pins near the water, they're just daring you to like hit the ball there. 18, especially. There, you, there's some really tough places you could yes. put the pin, or you could make that that hole much easier. Uh, at 7:24, Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. Padraig Harrington joins us uh, here in just a couple of minutes. Let's talk a little bit about Saturday. Um, again, I got out early, and I saw so Saturday. I saw Phil a little and did that. And then I mainly founded, followed Weiss and Brandon Hagee. Uh, and this was this day on Saturday. So Joe Ma- uh, Jones was one group ahead. So mm-hmm. it was sort of like similar. Jones was ahead. And then... Uh, Aaron Weiss got birdie two and birdie four. So he's 14 under with a six-shot lead. And within an hour, he went from a six-shot lead <laughs> to a three-shot deficit. It's just unheard of. I mean, it wasn't like he started out the day and just didn't have it. He started the day well. And it all started on the on the sixth hole. That sixth hole is so – I saw it all day, double bogey. Everybody was double bogey. And, it, and it's not one of those big names, but it's the one where it's a par four. And on the left side is an island they call the Bird Island where it's like all the most birds is a nature preserve, <laughs> and then there's water around there, and everyone's afraid to hit it there. So, but on the right side, they're like, oh, I'll be safe, I'll go to the right. But when you go right, there's trees, and you think, oh, that's so easy, but then you then you d- put the water again in on your next shot, and that's where everybody was having trouble, and it gets super windy. Like, they played the first five holes, and it wasn't windy at all. We get to the, that hole, and it was just a mess in terms of the wind blowing and everything like that, and that's where he made his mistake. And then he was told that they were playing too slow, <laughs> and then he started running. So here's someone who had the six-shot lead playing great, and he starts missing three points. He missed three, like, five-foot putts. He bogeyed on 15, bogeyed on 17, and then on 18, he hit this one shot. I, it was the worst shot I've ever seen on 18. It must have gone, like, 150 yards. They're all looking around. I mean, I think his girlfriend or wife was out there because she just broke through the ropes, and he's trying to find – they couldn't find the ball. It was a disaster on the side. It was, like, on the left side, which no, I've never seen a ball even hit there, and uh, just a weird-type situation. And Hagee, after the one thing is on 11, Hagee was funny. He was, he's very, he's a, he's a young golfer, and it was nice to watch him play. His, it got windy on 11, and his score, his yardage book blew out of his hand. 
flying, and it was like ready to go in the water. And I'm like standing there, and it almost blew right to me, and I was like gonna run out and get, get you it. Take it. I, no, but it, then it just stopped in the ground, and then he, his caddy went and picked it up, and he looked at me and said, "Look, if it's gonna keep blowing, you better get it." So I would think that was that was. But he was just funny about that, and it was like it was like one of those things where Jones. The day ended after this crazy day on Saturday with Jones at ten under. Uh, JB Holmes at seven under and Weiss was at uh, at seven under. So Weiss fell all the way back from having that. He's three strokes at in, in, again in a couple hours. He went from being six strokes up to three strokes behind. That's what uh, the champions course can do to you there at PGA National. So let's go to Sunday and talk about how Jones took it down. Well, it was. I get out early again and watch Fowler. Fowler's wearing his orange. That orange is so distinctive when he wears that all orange. Oh, yeah. It's so crazy. And the one, so I was like, the one little funny thing was that he's walking by and there's, the wildlife there was amazing. They had on 18, there was a pelican that was bigger than the than the uh, flagstick. It was so <laughs> big. And when it flew away, it looked like a plane flying. And then there was uh, crocodiles and alligators or whatever and all these different birds. And But on the one hole he walked by and you could see the alligator. And then when he walked by in that orange outfit, I'm like, that it, the, the alligator moved like I'm like wait Ricky you should be wearing that orange so close to the alligator I don't know I don't know what I would have to check my alligator if that's something that would trigger it but uh, it didn't Ricky stayed safe and that was fine but uh, it was like then I got to see uh, Phil Mickelson play a little and he's wearing the golden bear colors the uh, gold shirt uh, yellow gold shirt mm-hmm. uh, that was interesting to see him uh, wearing that but uh, uh, I was listening it was interesting it was uh, cool that they were talking about on the radio that the courses compared to years ago, are so perfect. And that is what PJ National is. It is it is an absolutely amazing man of its course where there's even in the fairway, there's no bad spots where you hit the ball. Uh, just a, when you get a chance to walk a cut across and you walk on the fairways, it's just amazing. It, it, the course is pristine. I've, I've, I've played there quite a few times, and it's always right after the Honda Classic. And normally you think the course is going to be all beat up from all the pros, and it's always in uh, immaculate shape. Uh, let's talk about how this one uh, wound down. Well, it... I'll tell you one thing. I, I want to give credit to every single golfer on the core, on the tour that was out there. I, Lee Westwood, who had played two tournaments before, missed the cut, but for the fact that he didn't pull out of this event because Ken Kennelly had him gave him a wild card the year before, and, and, and he's had this great year. I give him credit. And Ricky Fowler, Phil. I mean, every, all the golfers. I'm going to bash J.B. Holmes. I, I know Brooks. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, I follow J.B. Holmes in terms of the problem he had the British Open, but I have never seen. Though he was paired with Matt Jones. I have never seen a golfer this slow. This is, and I fall do this a lot. I and people are saying you're. It's. I can see why Brooks was so upset. First of all, it, it is it, every shot is the final shot at the Masters. It is. It, he has to go and do twenty. First of all, he looks at it forever. Decides what club to take out, takes a club out, puts another club in, takes another club out, goes through his entire bag. Then he takes 20 practice swings, goes through, and then you think he's ready. But no, that, that's just the beginning of it. Then he goes back, walks around the ball, then he stands, then he walks up to the ball, then he takes more practice swings. And if there's any distraction, it all starts all over again. <laughs> so he was having a terrible day. So he did that every time. And Matt Jones is one of the fastest golfers. He literally, if you're not ready, he goes right at the ball and hits it. There's not, he doesn't even do practice swings. He just goes up mm-hmm. and swings. So then, but he, but Holmes was hitting the ball all over the place. Like it was like the fairway was just a suggestion where it hit the ball. On two, he hit the ball. It was like on a porch somewhere. But then he hit another provisional. That was on another porch. He brings over the marshal six times. It's like, Crazy. and then, and it just kept getting on and on about bringing the marshal. And he wants, he's out of bounds and he's in these bad areas and he wants the area to be. It's like, can you please cut me a new golf course over here? He's like, I want this, I want that. He was on 11. He hit, it all went over the green on 11. It's sitting there. I'm there right where the ball 
ball is. And then he said, it's too wet. And I was sitting on the ground. I wasn't <laughs> wet. It was, And then the marshal's like, whatever you want. Like at that point, I don't know why they just let the marshal stay with the marshals, do that. And that's where I give credit for Matt Jones. He's such a fast golfer. And to play with someone who is just slow and slow and holding everything up. And only on 11 did I see him hit a bogey that he didn't really. Besides that, that so I, as much as impressive as Matt Jones's win was, playing with J.B. Holmes, he finished at 79. I mean, he was at 60th place. And you think he was competing for the tournament. It's like, it's over. Like, give it up. And then on 18, when he actually played a little fast, people give him credit. It's like, oh, he, he let Matt Jones just finish out everything out. I'm like, what? It, the whole, it was, I have never seen. I mean, people that were following this were all commenting. They never saw anything. J.B. Holmes has to be. Like, I cannot believe they don't get, there's a penalty for this because he is beyond the slowest. How many golfers did I see this week? I must have seen follow like 30 golfers. I've, he's 10 times worse than any one of them. And you said Brooks Kepkis had some complaints about him in the past. At the British Open and, and the other golfers, he talked about how he looked at, there was a, there was a video of him with taking two minutes on a putt for a one-foot putt, and I could see why. I, there's just got to be something about to get him, you know, we, and also we, he's playing the wrong fairways. I mean, he was just playing poorly, <laughs> and he was playing slowly. But, uh, you know, Jones started out great. He got a, almost got an eagle on the third hole, goes up by three strokes, and then uh, on four, it was funny, Jones hit this ball. It went on, it landed on a sprinkler head. I think it bounced up like 100 yards in the air. It was so high, and then it went right on the green. Whether it was a lucky bounce or not lucky bounce, I couldn't figure it out, but it was just so cool to see a ball bounce super, super high. Um, then on seven, Jones saw Weiss. He's all, Aaron Weiss is one hole ahead. So this is sort of like last week when Justin Thomas was one ahead. On the par threes, you get to see what they're doing ahead of you. So that was pretty cool to see. So we saw him do a bogey. He, then he actually made a bogey on that. But then uh, on 10, it, it all changed. We're, we're behind it. So I'm seeing Weiss, Aaron Weiss uh, putt. And he like four had a four pitch triple bogey on, when he was right on the green, mm -hmm. and but but Jones could see the whole thing, so he knew he only had a one stroke lead at that time, and suddenly that one stroke lead becomes a four stroke lead, and just cruising on, and and that's where it was just uh, it was it was like twelve, I mean, and thirteen when he's up by three strokes and he's able to go birdie birdie, and it's just it's just perfect, and the rest of the thing was just it was just an amazing in terms of how he was able just it was not even close every everything is dead center everything's in dead center in the green there was no scrambling there was no issue there was no you're waiting for him to make a mistake he just didn't make a mistake the whole way around he finished 12 under five stroke lead uh phil finished 25th at two under uh and gooch was at plus two at 46 and uh what's another a uh, fowler finished uh, uh 65th plus seven yeah, Fowler uh, looked good for a little bit. Didn't pull it together. No, at it was it was it was sad with that. But it was like it was. I think what we take the takeaway from this is, uh, it, and this core, this has been I think eight of the last nine years. It's either been in a playoff or one stroke for for Matt Jones to blow this field away and just be like it. I was thinking to myself, they played another 18 holes, Matt Jones was going to win. Like, he was going to... He, he's dialed uh, in. Like, he should just keep playing this, like, every day, just keep <laughs> winning this. Like, any time, he should just show up and win, because he just had this going. And if I... And unfortunately, he can't play this week. He's not qualified. But Matt Jones, I want to keep playing. Like, I just... This is... He's on such a roll that this is... Like, when you're 41 years old, you just want to keep playing and keep this going. No, and he, and absolutely. qualified for the Masters. And, like, what's so important for someone like... When Justin Thomas wins the the players, it's one thing. But now he gets exemptions next year for the, mas the Masters. This year for the, for the Masters. He gets exemptions for other tournaments, moves them up in points. This means so much to someone like him who who might not, who been out of golf in like two years if it wasn't for this win, just like we saw Jim Herman have these big wins. So this is a risk. He was so emotional with the victory, and it was great to see it. He's a great guy. Great win. Yeah, happy for him, and uh, happy to wrap up another Honda Classic Week, one of the most fun times in South Florida. Ira, like we said, we got Padraig Harrington right now. Uh, it's a great interview. Here's Padraig Harrington on Iron Sports. 
This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9. We're talking to three-time major winner Padraig Harrington, also the captain of the 2021 Ryder Cup. Padraig, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Hey, you're welcome. It's good to be here. <laughs> so I was reading a little about your background, and I found out that you're an expert in accounting. You've got degrees in accounting. You've got your li- accounting licenses. I guess that helps when you're trying to calculate, you know, being a Ryder Cup captain. You're going to have to be adding up a lot of numbers, so I think it's probably going to be good. At, probably, you're probably selected just for that alone, the fact of your accounting background. <laughs> yes, I do like numbers. Uh, yeah, it's pretty easy. But, and we do have quite a lot of stats. We, we look at all that stuff now. It's... Uh, you know, if Ryder Cup, it's uh, money ball stuff. You're looking at, at partnerships, who works with who, uh, you know, who's good at foursomes and four ball or hitting fairways, hitting greens. Yeah, there's a lot goes into it. So, yeah, it, you do, you don't want to shy away from it, but I'm sure uh, there's all sorts of captains. You could have a captain who's the, you know, soft and cuddly, motivational guy, and is a captain who's practical and does it by the numbers. So I think if people are a little confused about the schedule, they the um, Ryder Cup this year is at Whistling Straits in 2021 in September, and they moved the President's Cup a year back. So now it's going to be on the odd years for the Ryder Cup. And you have experience at Whistling Straits. I think you played there three times with the PGA Championship. So, you you know, you're pretty knowledgeable at that course. Yeah, you look, it's a good golf course for the Europeans. Uh, it wouldn't be, you know, for the U.S. players, I don't think they're... You know, it's, it's a link style golf course in the U.S., uh, so the, and the weather could be unpredictable at that time of the year. I think, you know, it's tough for the Europeans to beat the U.S. team on a, a stereotypical U.S. golf course. This is not a stereotypical course, so it gives us a, a much fairer run at the event than, than maybe uh, uh, the U.S. players would like. So your experience at Ryder Cup, you've um, been in six as a player. Um, you won four, lost uh, two. Uh, your overall record is, is have won nine, 13, and three in the Ryder Cup. So great experience. You have an amateur Walker Cup, St. Andrews Cup. But the point is, you've done well at the Honda Classic. Two-time winner. You're used to 17, the bear trap, the fans around. So I think you have that experience with that. You know, the Honda probably prepares you and some of the other golfers well for the Ryder Cup, where the fans are typically a little bit louder than a normal golf tournament. Yeah, no, the fans are great here at Honda. Uh, we, we'd love the fans to be exactly like they are at Honda for the Ryder Cup. I think uh, there is a little bit of element of uh, favoritism at the Ryder Cup for the home team. I think Honda here, they just they just enjoy themselves. And we appreciate a bit of buzz. I was just saying there, you know, on the bear trap, you don't want, you know, if things get very quiet, so that's actually very nerve-wracking. You want a nice ambient noise. Uh, clearly, you don't want somebody shouting on your backswing, but you, you're quite happy if there's a bit of noise, uh, you know, a comfortable bit of noise going on. So I, I think the atmosphere, and I know they don't have full fans here this week, but uh, yeah, I think there will be enough, and the majority of them will be around the, the, the bear trap holes that the players will, will get that atmosphere and feeling. I can guarantee you the players will be nervous and anxious at those holes because, uh, you know, one shot there could... Uh, ruin a round or ruin a tournament one bad shot so it's uh, uh, the players are pretty intense pretty focused and uh, yeah hopefully uh, hopefully for me and that's what's tends to work for me in the past here I'm, I'm pretty good when I'm forced into a situation and I have to do something uh, and I'm relying on that that I can get committed and, and 
and, and hit the shots under that sort of pressure. Yeah, I'm in 2015. I was following you, and you were with Berger on uh, 17, and then you go to 18, and then you have to go back in the playoff. You did you replayed 18, and then had to win in the second playoff hole, playing again on 17. So you really had your experience that tournament with you know very important. Most people have to only do that one around. You had to hit two two shots on 17 to win. Yeah, well, well, in real time on the 71st hole, I hit it in the water on 17 uh, when I had a one shot lead. I didn't want to bring that uh, up. <laughs> yeah, well, look. You got to hit, you know. I, t- I took it on and didn't hit a great shot the first time, but I didn't bail out, which is, you know, that was no use. And I came back the second time and I did the same thing. I said, I've got to take it on. I can't can't afford to bail out. Uh, I hit a five iron to a, what two feet, uh, and 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 ended it there, which is, you know, what sometimes you have to do in a playoff. You can't wait for the other guy. You sometimes just got to take something. Uh, just take it, take it by the scruff of the neck, whatever way you want. You know, you can't, you can't. Oh, and and that's that's the nature of this golf course. At times, you you you're pushed into taking a few shots on. Uh, you, you know, playing safe is not an option on these holes. Wow. And then back to the Ryder Cup for a second. You you they reduced the European picks from four to three, but the American picks increased to six. So it's they they've sort of limited your flexibility to put picks in. Was there what was the reasoning in terms of of limiting the captain or reducing the captain's picks for the European team, having now double for the American? Well, the reason was it was my choice. <laughs> I, I get to choose as captain. Uh, my experience is players who get picked can second guess. They're, you know, why they're there and what they're doing, and 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 are under a little bit more pressure if you're picked, trying to justify that pick. Uh, whereas players who qualify, obviously, you know, there's no doubt in their mind. And you know, if, if I had four, my my thought process was, if I had four picks, would I skip over four times the guy who was ninth in the automatic table? And I didn't think I would. Uh, so. You know, I, I thought the guy who's nine would, even with a pick, I'd probably pick him. So why, why not let him be in there automatically and uh, so that he doesn't have that burden of, of, you know, somebody, whoever it be, questioning whether he should have got, should be there or not. That's interesting. In 2018, uh, you were the vice captain and, and you, they picked Casey, Poldner, Garcia and Stenson all 38 plus. I mean, would you expect in terms of again? I mean, it's hard to know who's going to qualify or not. But picking as a captain picks more of an experienced player rather than a, a younger player. You, you you would think that on the face of it, uh, and rookies picked over the years have not. Rookies who qualify have done very well, and rookies who've picked have struggled. Uh, you know, my my thought process on that would be. If my team has nine experienced guys, well, I'm going to pick some young guys to give them a bit of a pep during the week, a bit of, you know, the young guys do bring that into the team, a bit of enthusiasm. Uh, if my team has nine rookies, I'd obviously pick three experienced guys. So, uh, you know, it, it's the three picks have nothing to do, well, there's a little, but very, not as much as people think to do with picking the 10th, 11th and 12th best golfer more about picking three guys to complement the nine who automatically qualified. There's much more about that. Yeah, and that and then and then it goes also as in the pairings, we talked about your counting skills. 
I mean, it, it must be so. I mean, there's so much pressure. I mean, you, you made a comment one time is that if you win, you're supposed to win. If you lose, it's all the captain's fault. <laughs> but the point is, in, in terms of pairing, in terms of you're looking at, do, do players get along well? Do their skills complement each other? Do you want to put an older person with a younger person? It's, I mean, all those factors that go into and the pressure to make those decisions. Yes, uh, and, and we have a team. I have five vice captains, so, you know, you have a team to work on this. But, the, you know, years ago, I, I just think how, how backward we were when I was, in, like, an amateur 20 years ago. Like, most of the time you got paired with a fellow countryman or you got paired with a uh, a friend or something like that, and your games could be completely unsuited. And I, I certainly played with people that my game was unsuited for. Uh, so, yeah, it's... It, it, much more than that now we we still take into account personality uh, you know young and old guys enthusiasm no enthusiasm you know same personalities friends there's a million ways to put, put partnership together but you start off probably with the stats to say that that partnership should work and then you, you work through it based on uh, yeah that you know obviously you put, put two guys together you know even if, it, if, if on paper it says it works, but you, you, you know yourself, no, it doesn't work. Maybe one is a is a very fast player and the other is a slow player, and it would you know they would upset each 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 person's rhythm if, if they had to play together. So there's lots of things that go into it. Uh, uh, but gone are the days where you just pair two guys together because they come from the same country. That's kind of uh, <laughs> that, that that was that was used over the years. Oh, they must be able to play together because they're both from Ireland or something like that. <laughs> and then I guess the other one, I'm asking you all this strategy here with the Ryder Cup. I appreciate you, you, you giving us this information. But one last thing is, and all my people wondered, is like the final singles order on that final day. Depends, of course, if you're up or back. But do you have your philosophy to go out and put your best players forward, like get that lead, or, or leave some players for the back at the end where maybe the more pressure will be on the, later in the day? It all depends on the players in your team and the position you're in. It really does. You know, you know, you could have your best player could be experienced, or your best player could be a rookie. Uh, your, you know, it really depends on the situation at the time. But clearly, we are aware of, of the strategies that have been used in the past, uh, and it will come down to looking at how we stand. Uh, you know, it, it could be as simple as you know, and it could be as simple as the player might be tired and you just say, well, we'll put you later in the order so you get out a couple of extra hours of sleep. Or, <laughs> or it could be a young player and you say, gee, we can't put you out late. You know, you're, the tension and mental energy you'll use up waiting for your tea time will get you out early, get you up and running and going so that you're not hanging around. It, it, you, know, there's a, there's, you know, you have to wait for the moment. For that Saturday night, you're going to have to sit there and go, well, what's, what do these players need? And... and you couldn't you couldn't do it six months in advance because uh, you, you just don't know what position you're going to be in on on the Sunday. We're talking to Patrick Harrington, uh, uh, Ryder Cup champion for the European team, also three-time major winner. I'm just uh, one more question, Patrick. Um, there was a talk about Dustin Johnson made a comment about the Olympics that he's going to pass on the Olympics. I know you competed in 2016 for Ireland Olympics. What do you look at in terms of these players? I mean, this will be before the Ryder Cup. Are you looking to see that players get this experience of playing the Olympics? And, and talk about your experience in 2016. What was that like for you to, to actually represent your country? It was one of my best golfing experiences, sporting experiences ever to go and be an Olympic athlete. I love the fact that I can walk around and say I'm an Olympic athlete. 
uh, that I competed in the games. Uh, I, I like I went and spoke at the conference to get golf into the Olympics, and you know, it, it, it not alone you know speaking was great, but it lived up to my expectation that I'm an Olympic athlete. Uh, I, in the end of the day, I, I think every player who went and competed got so much more from being an Olympic athlete than they, you know, it's just an opportunity that you would not want to miss out on. It's uh, such a huge thing. And, 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 you know, I can understand in the U.S. it's slightly different that you have, you look at this, okay, you have great Olympic athletes, but you've got great American footballers and basketballers and, and, and so the pinnacle for in the States, it's hard to see who's the best athlete in the States. Whereas you travel around the world, there is nothing but Olympics. You just a lot of country. I go into, I can go play golf in countries, and I would be introduced as an Olympic athlete over ahead of being a three-time major winner. That's their understanding. You know, golf to them in, in emerging countries, they have no understanding what being a three-time major winner is, but they certainly understand if you're an Olympic athlete. Uh, and, you know, the, the guys who won the gold silver and bronze uh, will tell you they traveled the world and it was uh, and I, you know the benefit they got from winning the, the, the acknowledgement as they travel the world the, the, you know it was massive because as I said in oh, I, I probably I'd say probably 80% of the countries in the world being an Olympic athlete being a, a medal winner in the Olympics ran far, high being a, far ahead of being a major winner uh, because they don't understand it, you know, they don't understand what being a major winner is. And <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, you know, if you're if you're going to travel the world, the Olympics is a is a big it's a big tick to have on your CV in terms of uh, establishing your your I suppose your presence anywhere. And and I certainly even being just an athlete has been a benefit to me. And I didn't I didn't win a medal. Well, I would assume that uh, if you're on a, winning one of the captain picks for the European team, you, you would you know best to choose to be on the team and not take a pass on that because for the experience, I guess, to go over there and compete against other people, the pressure and the environment, those type of things. No, I, 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 nothing. To, it's completely individual. Nothing to do with the element of uh, of uh, the Ryder Cup and the Olympics. No, I, I you know, just, it wouldn't matter to me. It, it, I, I just think personally, a player. The, what they get from it and the experience of playing for your country is, is I, I would recommend it. Uh, it has no bearing on my my picks whether it's somebody uh, I would always tell them to play but there's no bearing if somebody doesn't play for some reason I certainly doesn't limit their ability to play well in the Ryder Cup or be a team player I don't think it's a, it, it, I think the Ryder Cup is more about the individual and playing for your country it's, there's no team competition even though there's a team of two or three or four is it's right. not a team it's an individual event so I don't see I'm not looking in from a Ryder Cup standpoint that it's building up uh, you know it's, it really is an individual accomplishment to be an Olympian and it's something that I am very happy that I just about got there uh, late in my career
<laughs> that was great. No, that's a, that's awesome. But I know you're extremely busy, and I really appreciate you coming on this station. Is in is uh, in Palm Beach, and this is very in West Palm Beach, and this is you know, the Hot and Classics, the big event of the year. And I know that you come back every year. You're a two-time champion, so I definitely appreciate you coming on Iron Sports, and uh, and uh, best of luck the rest of the year. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Just about 10 minutes or so to go. So, Ira, let's switch gears to the NCAA. By the way, right now, LSU leads Michigan by two, 40 to 38. Also, Creighton on top of Ohio, 56 to 43. Um, I don't know about you, but my bracket is full of red lines already. How have you been holding up? No, it might, it's a disaster. I knew there was going to be upsets. I just picked the wrong ones, so that was it. Yeah. But um, but uh, it was uh, it's exciting. Look, they've got you got what you wanted in the tournament. Exciting the games. The only Thing I'll say about college basketball, which is so great, is it fits into a two-hour window. Um, I love how these teams, when you watch a lot of these teams playing with the defense, they're passing the ball more. Uh, it's different, and, and, and people who haven't watched a lot of college basketball, I think, are enjoying these games because the teams are playing with fire and passion and just the more ingenuity on offense. And the fact that the games do slit into that, like, oh, I'm going to watch a game, and it's only going to be it's less than two hours, it'll be done. It is, that's a perfect sports for television, really. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, especially with how busy you are this weekend. To be able to try to go back and catch up on all these games, it's amazing that you can did it. Uh, that you could do it. What stands out to you? I mean, for me, Oral Roberts winning two games here. I had Florida going to the Final Four, um, so that's not good for me. But I think it's only the second team ever, fifteen, to make it to the round of sixteen. Yeah, Florida Gulf Coast was the was the only other one to do that. Um, the win over Ohio State. I mean, again, I think the story of the tournament is the big stars. Uh, certainly, Dwayne Washington had a seven for twenty one shooting. Gay didn't play well. And then for Oral Roberts to come there and back and be Florida, I wasn't that surprised about the Florida win, but boy, to get in there against, uh, and now against Arkansas, uh, pretty amazing in, in terms of that. I was shocked that Colgate didn't beat Arkansas. I, that I thought Colgate was going to upset them, and it was a big win for Arkansas because Colgate has a lot of firepower. They're one of the best shooting teams, and, and Arkansas beat them pretty easily. So, I, again, I picked the Utah State and the Colgate upsets there, and that, that's where the, the old upsets happened in the other side. Your uh, Gonzaga Bulldogs don't look like anything slowing them down. No, I mean, Gonzaga's win today, uh, people just forget about uh, Drew Timmy, who's their center at 30 points and it was like one of those games where what, whatever the other team's going to give them Suggs and Kisper they, they realized Timmy had it and was throwing it to him feeding it inside easily won against Oklahoma uh, first of all the win, first one against Norfolk State and now it looks like they're going to play Creighton in the second round in the in the Sweet 16 and Creighton holds on and beats uh, Ohio uh, I think another good win for Gonzaga but Gonzaga look that Oklahoma game it's everyone kept having Gonzaga Gonzaga the first round game was discounted they saw him against Oklahoma today they blew him out there at the end of the game one by whatever 10 12 points but but it was there was a good win for it was a, it was a win that shows Gonzaga can play against the uh, big teams and actually play well and what else is uh, standing out to you so far well I do think that on that on the in the West thing I think the or the, the big 10 has been terrible of course I think Iowa today uh, disastrous performance against Oregon. I mean, Garza scores 36. Bohannon, who's their big score, gets zero points. McCafferty, the coach's son, who's a big score, gets zero points. They shot eight for 25 for threes. I just, I was, I was a team that people thought was maybe a number one seed. They were number two seed for Oregon to come and beat them like they did. The, the Pac-12's uh, strength has been, <laughs> throughout this entire tournament, they've only, I think, lost one game. Uh, that's, that was a big win over Iowa. And we'll see tonight, USC and versus Kansas. I do like Gonzaga still coming through with that. And I, I, I really think that I was shocked that Wisconsin beat North Carolina and I just Me too. North Carolina again I, that team is Jekyll and Hyde they they got killed they lost by 23 and I have to say I thought North Carolina beating Baylor 
And Baylor, who's been struggling at the end of the year, right at the ship. They beat Harvard, had an easy win against Harvard, and then they beat Wisconsin. And now they're set up to play Villanova, a team that's missing their best player, a team that sort of, I think, yeah, they, they, they were able to, to beat North Texas. They beat Winthrop and North Texas to get through. I, I think Baylor's going to easily win that game. So Baylor can, Baylor's going to get the Elite Eight and then play Arkansas Earl Roberts to get to the Final Four. Like, it's like, I think it just works out perfectly for Baylor to get to the Final Four. I mean, they have a great guard combination of Butler, Mitchell, and Teague. And when you have a three, three, you know, three person, three guards that all are excellent, all make plays and all shoot well, um, that was, I think it's setting up, it, it actually set up perfectly for Baylor to go through on that side of the draw, on those things. No, I agree. Baylor's uh, definitely going to be in the driver's seat here. How about North Texas knocking off Purdue? I definitely didn't have that one on my radar. I think the Big Ten, I think the problem with the Big Ten is that they didn't play, when you don't play these non-conference schedules and was this boy they're really good and and Ohio State's really good and Purdue's really good and Iowa's really good and Wisconsin's really good even though they beat North Carolina but still they lost again but the point is that these teams were viewed as so good and then but they didn't really play outside the conference and then when you don't play outside the conference and now they're losing games so it really I, the Big Ten has had these problems with the NCAA tournament before but they thought everyone said oh they're gonna have four number one they're four teams are gonna be in for the Big Ten they're gonna after today if Michigan loses this game and Maryland loses to Alabama they're gonna have no teams left. So, <laughs> got just about five minutes uh, to go here on Iron Sports. What, what, what else you got? Yeah, I think that certainly. I thought you know on, on the other side, the, I was shocked by the UCLA BYU game. UCLA today beat Yavelin Christian. They're going to be in the in the Sweet 16. Uh, but I I did not like how BYU played. I've saw them play a bunch of times this year. I really impressive. Another Pac-12 team that played well. Um, and then Oregon State beating Tennessee. Uh, I thought that was just coming through. And then today, uh, you know to come to beat Oklahoma State uh, Cody Cunningham who is everyone has the number one pick in the draft he played just average he was six for 20 shooting just in play and then Loyola Chicago I mean the story of the tournament is someone who a team that sister Jean she's 101 gives the pep talk before the team this team two years ago that had made the run to the final four Porter Moser is a genius coach cannot believe he has not been hired by anyone else and first another great run and then they play Illinois and a game it was a number one seed and they beat them seven 71 to 59. Desuno, who is their star player and scores nine points, uh, just terrible performance from these. I said, I'm waiting for these big stars that we think are going to, this is going to be their breakout for the NCAA performance. Like when you remember when Steph Curry played for Davidson and he had those big wins, like I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for mm -hmm. those type of moments from these big stars that we think are going to play. I mean, you know, we, we have uh, uh, Bayheim's uh, son for Syracuse has had these big games. Now Syracuse has made the Elite Eight against Houston as an 11 seed. He beat West Virginia, beat San Diego State. And that, like you're waiting that for some of these other. Bayheim's not going to be drafted a first-round draft pick. He's going to be sort of a Duncan Robinson-type player in the league. But uh, yeah, the Big Ten did terrible. But I do like, I think, in, in, from that side, you really like Loyola Chicago uh, to beat Oregon State and probably beat Syracuse or Houston and make the Final Four again, Crazy. which would just be amazing. And on the other side... I still like my Alabama. I still like Alabama probably making it to, to be Alabama there. But, uh, you know, again, if Gonzaga, Baylor, and then Alabama, and, uh, and, then, and then Loyola, Chicago. It's looking uh, pretty cool, and we'll keep our uh, eyes on and this. And remember, they play on. Friday this week. So after tonight, there's still games. That we're going to get tonight. We're going to get uh, USC, Kansas, Maryland, Alabama. And then they play the Elite. Uh, the Sweet 16 games are Friday, Saturday, and the Elite Eight are, are, Sunday, are Sunday and Monday again. So it's a little different. Everyone's waiting on Thursday where the tournament was to start. <laughs> well, enough, no games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. It definitely does feel a little bit, uh, a little bit strange the way it worked out. Speaking of strange... Eh, 
This whole Isaiah Wilson thing from the Titans to the Dolphins to unemployed is very bizarre, Ira. Well, they made it. I think he's, they traded for him and cut him in three days, which is they <laughs> that's got to be up, a record. They, they didn't give up that much. I mean, it was. I think Isaiah Wilson is interesting in the fact that uh, he was drafted by the in the first round and didn't and was cut after one year, which is unheard of in the NFL. Yeah. And then well, not cut, but actually traded for traded at, in the first year. And the Dolphins have him for three days, and there's a video of him dancing on a car, and then he gets <laughs> cut. Um, luckily, they didn't give up much for him, uh, but that was, I think, one of those moves where the, the sort of head-scratcher from the Dolphins in terms of what they, why they made that in the first place. Yeah, just bizarre, and uh, the, he's obviously got some mental health issues, and that's what they keep uh, bringing it back to. Um, no team's really been more busy so far in free agency than Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Signing, I think it was like a quarter of a billion dollars, it seems, in deals. So many players. I mean, they signed Kyle Van Noy, we saw from the Dolphins uh, at linebacker. He was there at the Patriots. Goes, But just the, the best, instead of getting, there's two top tight ends. They got them both. Yeah. <laughs> they, more of like Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. When they, those were running, they, were, they signed uh, John Smith and Hunt from the Titans and Hunter Henry from the Chargers. But uh, wide receivers like Nelson Aguilar. I mean, no big, no names that just jump out, but a lot to help the offensive line, a lot of defensive players certainly a way for them and, and they're able to do that because they signed Cam Newton uh, that for like five million dollars a year gave them a lot of money they also had cap room Patriots are, are Patriots are going to try to play like they used to 20 years ago when Tom Brady gave in the league and I think they'll be pretty good I mean I like what they've done um you brought the Titans. The Titans' whole team seems to be walking away. The Giants uh, were able to poach a Dory Jackson from them, basically as the entire Titans secondary from, from a few years ago. They also got the uh, most coveted wide receiver in Kenny Galladay. Right. I mean, I think it was a good—I'm not a Galladay fan, but it was like— I think I, it was too much money no. for him. I don't, I don't know what the Giants are going to—how are they planning on paying Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, unless that's not in the mix, because they seem to be running out of cash. Uh, what other free agent signings jumped out to you? I like—well, something interesting, what you notice, is that Juju Smith-Schuster signed for a one-year $8 million deal. The, the NFL just announced that they're going to sign— uh, there is going to become it's going to now be a hundred billion dollars uh, for uh, the con a hundred million hundred million a year uh, ten billion dollars or whatever for the contract so it, the the amount of money is going to be ridiculous in terms of what the salary cap is going to go up to see a lot of players signing shorter term deals saying look I'm going to sign a short term deal now and then I'm going to take money later and do that so they're going to get I think the league gets uh, ten billion dollars a year from one thing I thought was bizarre is. The Chicago Bears are going to go from Mitch Trubisky to Andy Dalton. Well, it's this, like the same guy. Trubisky's probably better. Well, they went Trubisky, and then they're also Trubisky goes as a backup to the Bills. And, and we, we, we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. But with the Deshaun Watson situation, in terms of it doesn't seem like there's a trade market for him, with Russell Wilson now probably staying in Seattle, we could almost go through the quarterbacks and sort of set who the quarterback will be. And two is going to be, without Watson being traded, two is going to be the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins next year. So I think that's the situation where you're going to. You can almost look at uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick going to the to Washington, which I like. I like the fact that I, I, I like the Washington football team. I think that this is a great thing for him. Ryan Fitzpatrick, they have a great defense, and I think it's setting up for a nice little run for, for the what, Redskins or Washington football team. So uh, in UFC, Ira, this should be a pretty big weekend. This fight is going to be amazing. This is their, uh, in, in 2018, Miasic, Stephanie Miasic won unanimous decision against Agano. These are the two best heavyweights. Miasic had just beat Cormier, uh, Cormier for the second time, for the two out of three times. You are now having, in, in, in the last four 
bouts, Degano has knocked out his opponent. And these have been top flight opponents in the first round. He is the favorite in this against Miasic, who is considered still in his prime, even though he's older. Mm-hmm. But it is it is really shaping up tonight on Saturday night as one of the greatest UFC fights potentially of all time. So I'm excited to watch that. I think it's going to be a perfect, great fight to watch. What about Dennis? Um, Miami Open. So I love the Miami Open. I think it's great. But because of COVID, because of other rules and other things, it's it's usually one of the, uh, what, sixth biggest tournament or fifth biggest tournament in the world uh, after the majors. But there's no Djokovic, no Nadal, no Federer, now no Serena. And it's now going to be a chance. This is what tennis is going to look like in a couple years when yeah. they're, they're not going to be there. And you have Medved and Tsitsipas and Zarev uh, and Osaka, no, Naomi Osaka. Uh, the highest-ranked American, Isner, is in it. I hope to get down a couple times over the next two weeks. I'm excited to go down there. It's harder, the tickets, because they're just have social distancing and with rules there's gonna be not many seats available but uh i love going to it it's just gonna be a little weird and i and i do hate the fact that it's not on key biscayne and it's in fort lauderdale at the miami dolphin stadium i love that but uh it's great another these final two weeks you have the last week of spring training you have two weeks of tennis and then everything leaves except for the heat and the uh and the marlins and uh let's wrap it up with a little uh racing well kyle larson won the atlanta race uh was kyle larson didn't win he was dominating it the whole race actually caught a lot of the, the the replay of it and then ryan blaney passed him with nine laps to go uh and with denny hamblin in second place so it was uh but uh no that was it was a good race in atlanta we are out of time on behalf of ira i'm mike let's talk next monday night i run sports